Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us a hunger for the Word of God, a hunger for the bread of life. Please pour out your Holy Spirit on my words and into our hearts so that as we look at the I Am sayings of Jesus, we may be transformed by deeply knowing his identity and the gift that he gives to us in it. In his name we pray. Amen. As I begin this sermon series, I want to zone in on that question, who is this man? Who is this man? Lots of people down through history have asked that question about Jesus. And of course, there's many different answers out there about who Jesus really is. Was he a wise moral teacher? Was he a rebel and a rabble rouser? Was he kind of a revolutionary who wanted to overthrow the Romans? Jesus himself gives us many pointers to his own identity. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, seven times, seven is an important number in the Bible. Um, I talked with Pete about important numbers in the Bible last week. Seven is one of those numbers that comes up again and again, and it basically is the number of perfection. It's the number of completeness. It's the number of this is important. So seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am something. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's seven of those. But in saying that, Jesus is not just making a a kind of a mild claim about who he is or what his relationship is. I am is actually the name of God that was given to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. When Moses was at the burning bush and God was commissioning him to free the Israelites, Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. I am was the four Hebrew letters which spell Y-H-W-H. No one really knows how that name is pronounced The reason being that it was so holy to the people of Israel that they never vocalized it. They actually put another word in its place, the word Lord. So we don't quite know how YHWH is pronounced. But it's precious and it's sacred. And in our English Bibles, the word YHWH is often translated as Lord, L-O-R-D, in small capitals to, um, to kind of distinguish it from the word L-O-R-D in, in not capitals, which means like a master of a, of a slave or that kind of thing. So when Jesus says, I am, he's making a very big claim. He's claiming some kind of identity and relationship with God. It's very emphatic. Who is this Man. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this sermon series. But first of all, as I get into the bread of life, I want to ask you a non-rhetorical question, and that is, what really satisfies you? What food really satisfies you? What is it that unless you have eaten this food, you kind of feel like it's not really a proper meal? Anyone got any, anything like that, that that springs to mind? Bread? Bread? So... Good old-fashioned... Yep, okay. (laughs) 
It doesn't feel like a meal if, if there's no bread. Hey. Yep, okay. Well, that's good. That flows right into the sermon. Anything else? Uh, Melissa? Yeah, my dad would say, what is for dinner? And what he would mean is, what is the meat that you are cooking? If mum said, oh, it's potatoes and pumpkin and vegetables and stuff, dad would go, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I need meat. And if, I'm, if I haven't had meat, it's not a proper meal. Yep, Gary, what about you? Potatoes, right, yes. Um, I have a friend called Alice who comes from Tanzania um, in East Africa who lived with us for a while. Sarah, you may, um, you may relate to this, but she didn't feel full and satisfied unless she had had millet bread. You know millet bread? Um, it's kind of doughy and sticky and um, like really, really glutinous. I didn't like it at all, but for Alice, that was the thing. If she hadn't had millet bread... It wasn't a real meal. Um, my wife, Yvette, has unfortunately had to go off carbs. And she just loves rice, but she can't, she can't eat it at the moment. So, When Jesus says, I am the bread of life in John 6, and we're going to turn to that passage soon, he is saying that he is the one who truly satisfies. And not only truly satisfies the bodily hunger, but also the mental and the spiritual hungers of the human heart and life. Jesus is saying that he is the one who truly satisfies, nourishes, and gives life to body, mind, and spirit. And when we think of it that way, I wonder if we as Christians can say, I'm never really satisfied until I know that Jesus is in my life, in this part of my life. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 6. And um, I'll read uh, some parts of that, John 6, particularly from verse 22 onwards. So um, there's, there's quite a lot happening here, so stick with me. Um, if you've got a, a church Bible, it's on page uh, 1069. So just a bit of context. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with some bread and some fish. He's fed this giant crowd with a small handful of food. And then um, they've all left, and the disciples are left, and eventually Jesus crosses the lake. He walks on the water. This is what happens after that. When the crowd, this is from verse 25, when the crowd found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You got some good tucker, Jesus is saying, and that's what you want right now. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? These people are not really satisfied, are they? I mean, they've just seen him feed 5,000 people with with a handful of bread and fish, and they're going, show us a sign. Show us that it's, it's really you. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the one who nourishes and gives life and health to you. And when we look at this in context and in terms of what Jesus has just done, it's important to realize that Jesus is not just interested in the spiritual well-being of people. Jesus actually has a holistic ministry that takes care of the body, the mind, and the spirit of people who come to him. He's just fed a massive crowd who were probably about to faint from hunger. In some of the Gospels, it says that if they're sent away, they they won't get to the nearest village because they're so hungry. And then he ordered that the leftovers be gathered. He just made a miraculous meal from a multitude of people. And Jesus says, don't let anything be wasted. Gather all the leftovers so that they can be used for the nourishment of people's bodies as well. The feeding of the 5,000, which occurs at the beginning of this chapter of John, shows that Jesus gives in abundance. He's given so much that there is 12 big baskets left over. He's given more than the people need in the feeding of the 5,000. And he doesn't want anything to be wasted. Jesus, the bread of life, gives in abundance. He's not stingy. He's not holding back. He wants his people to have good things. And we see in the ministry of Jesus that he heals and feeds people's bodies. He doesn't make this artificial uh, distinction between body and spirit and mind. He doesn't say, no, all you need is to hear my preaching. He actually feeds the people. He feeds their bodies and he does it in abundance. He teaches the people. He feeds their minds. And a whole lot of the ministry of Jesus is a teaching ministry to help people understand and to see more of God and the reality of life. But not only that, Jesus also gives a relationship with God. He gives health and nourishment for the spirit. We heard in the um, Old Testament reading that Tim read for us about the, the fall of man, the, the fall into sin, the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God. And at that time, people's spirits were separated from the life of the spirit that is in God. But Jesus offers new life, reconnection, forgiveness with God, and he offers health and nourishment for the spirit. Now, can someone read out for us verse 27 of chapter 6 one more time? Actually, let's read verse 26 and 27. Thanks, Margaret. Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. See, the body and its nourishment are important, 
but they're not ultimate and they're not the only thing in life. And in this season of Lent, I wonder if we might take the chance to stop and reflect, like the people who came to Jesus, on what things am I working hard for? What things are important that I have actually made ultimate in my life, where I invest my meaning and my purpose and my identity? For me as a pastor, and it might sound strange to hear this, but sometimes it's the ministry of Jesus which is important, vital, absolutely important, but it's not actually Jesus himself. And sometimes the ministry in my life becomes a thing that is more ultimate and more important to me and where I invest my identity and my sense of worth and purpose. Maybe for some of us, it's in giving financial security to our family, which is a good thing. Remember, all of these things are good things, but when they become ultimate things, when we are working for food that spoils, things that will only last for this lifetime... Jesus calls us out on that. In verse 28 and 29, the people say, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Okay, if we're going to work for something, Jesus, and we're going to work for what is ultimate, what do we have to do in order to please God? We want to put God first. This is what the people are saying. We want to put God first. How do we do that? What work do we do? And Jesus says something that is quite stunning. He says, Jesus answered, verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Do you hear it? What work is required for God? Believe. Just believe. Saved by grace, through faith. Trust in Jesus. You don't have to do anything in order to be right with God, in order to have your spirit nourished and fed just need to trust in the one that God has provided, the bread of life, Jesus himself. And in, down a little bit further in uh, chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus, after a bit of dialogue back and forth with the crowd, Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. What's the tense of that? Uh, sorry, that's a kind of a technical term. When, when is Jesus saying that a person has eternal life? When they believe, right? But they have eternal life now. Jesus doesn't say the one who believes will have eternal life with God after they die. He says the one who believes has eternal life. And in the Gospel of John, eternal life is not just what happens to us after we die and go to be with God in heaven. It's actually now, as we get to know Jesus, that our relationship with God is restored and eternal life is a new and abundant kind of life, overflowing life with God right now. It's not to say that, that heaven is not important. It is incredibly important. But right now, the one who believes in Jesus has eternal life, life with God that begins now and extends forever. Abundant, vibrant, overflowing life with God. Jesus is the one who truly satisfies the hungers of body, 
mind, and spirit. And it's ultimately true that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our spiritual hunger. Let me read for you from Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is after the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. So they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been eating manna in the desert. And Jesus actually quotes this verse to the devil when the devil says, you know what? You could turn these stones into bread. You're so hungry, you could do this. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's also saying, I am the word of God. I am the one who nourishes and satisfies your hunger for that renewed and restored relationship with God that people have had ever since it got broken down in the Garden of Eden. So Jesus is the one who feeds us spiritually. Knowing him is having life, eternal life. Finally, in John chapter 6, towards the end of the chapter in verse 50 to 56, Jesus talks about his life and how he gives us life and overcomes our death. Let me read those verses for you. John 6, verse 50 to 56. Here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the flesh of the Son of Man and his blood given up for people to have eternal life. You see, Jesus' life for us overcomes our death. His life and his body and blood given on the cross is broken and poured out so that we may have life and so that death does not have the last word in our lives. It's a great exchange, isn't it? Jesus gives his life so that our death can be overcome. He gives his life so that we can share in his life. He takes on our death so that our death does not have to be permanent with God. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. I am the one who satisfies the hunger of body, mind, and soul. I wonder how our community, which is the body of Christ, might be shaped by knowing, truly knowing Jesus as the bread of life. And there's just a couple of suggestions that I have here for us. I think that as we are shaped by what Jesus says here, that our church community will engage in holistic ministry. We won't just preach the gospel to people, but we'll also help in whatever ways we are able to, to the best of our ability, to nourish body and mind, to help meet the physical needs of people. We won't just be going, hey, you just need to believe in Jesus and everything will be sweet. We'll actually be investing into the physical well-being of people. 
We won't just say believe the gospel, but we'll also provide for the body and nourish the mind. And also, we won't just be involved in social welfare. It won't just be our actions that point people to Jesus, but also our words that help them to meet Jesus as the bread of life. Secondly, I think that if we reflect on not working for things that spoil, not letting what is important become ultimate, that we will be able to reflect and repent of those other things in their life as they take the place of God. And finally, I think that a, a church community that is really shaped by Jesus' words, I am the bread of life, will hunger for Jesus himself. Hunger for the bread of life. That we will be able to say when, when someone asks that question, what truly satisfies that, we'll say it's actually only Jesus. Only Jesus is the one who satisfies body, mind, and spirit. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am what truly satisfies. I am the one who truly nourishes and gives life to body, mind, and spirit. May we believe the words of Jesus and have eternal life in his name. Amen.